Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at the fourth uh, message in this whole string of instructions that Jesus gave in, in Matthew chapter 6 about not doing our righteousness before men. We've been looking at instructions on giving, praying, and fasting. Uh, today we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about fasting, something we don't hear much of today. And uh, I couldn't help but be struck by the irony of the timing of this message. You need to turn in all of your Halloween candy to the preacher before you leave today, okay? <laughs> Who knows? It's test time. Who knows what today is? Reformation Day. Thank you, Phil. Exactly. What's, what's What started Reformation, the Reformation? Martin Luther. How many years ago did he nail those 95 theses up to the door at Wittenberg? Anybody know that? How many years ago? 498 years ago, yesterday. Martin Luther went to that church door at Wittenberg and nailed 95 theses. Now you say, what in the world does that have to do with us today, preacher? It has everything to do with you today. What we believe and how we worship as Protestants broke off from Roman Catholicism and insisting upon justification by faith alone in Christ alone and the authority of Scripture in our lives to be that authority that guides us in faith and practice. So it has reformate what happened in the Reformation defines who we have been as the church for the past 500 years. It has everything to do with you. Again, this morning we want to look at a subject we don't hear much of uh, today at all. I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read from verse 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we will read down through verse 8, and then we'll jump down to verse 16. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words." Do not be like them. 
For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And now skip down to verse 16. And we're going to cover a passage that if it were not for our practice of going verse by verse through books of the Bible, this would be a text that would be easy to ignore. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father, we are so grateful this morning for your word that you have given us your word that we might come to know you, that we might learn of our sinful condition and our need of a Savior, that we might come to Christ. And then once coming to Christ, that we would continue in your word and be built up by it, be discipled. That your Holy Spirit would take your word and use it to conform us more to the image of Christ. Lord, use this passage that we have read this morning to help us to better understand your plan for our lives. And Lord, as always, we pray that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the book of Acts, we read one of the greatest stories in the Bible when it comes to missions. Now, I want to read this passage out of the book of Acts having to do with missions because I want you to see how it will tie into our subject matter for the day concerning fasting. In Acts chapter 13, the Bible says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, that is John Mark, to assist them. Now folks, what was God's message to the church? His message was that because he was about to include Gentiles in his plan of salvation, he was calling out a missionary team headed by Paul who would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you realize this was one of the most monumental events in the life of the early church and the instruction from God came to them through prayer and fasting? In the next chapter over in the book of Acts, if we were to read over in Acts chapter 14, we would be told that Paul and Barnabas 
after establishing all of those churches in their first missionary journey, they circled back around to strengthen those churches and after a time, again, of prayer and fasting, they commissioned elders or leaders for those congregations. That instruction, again, came through prayer and fasting. And so here were two huge decisions being made in the early church and we see that they continued forward only after a time of prayer and fasting. Now sometimes in the Bible we see prayer and fasting together. Other times we see prayer standing alone without fasting. Seldom ever, in fact, almost never do we hear of fasting standing on its own without prayer. The two go together. Now, we've been looking for the previous three weeks at the big three, I called them. The big three to the Jewish leaders. Here are the big three that they said, if you do all of these three and you do them well, you will be considered a righteous person. And those big three were giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that that they were not to be like the Pharisees, how the Pharisees carried out those big three. Because remember when it came to their giving, they wanted to come in with great pomp and circumstance and certain ones of the religious leaders who were about to give a big gift, they wanted it to be known to everybody what they were giving. And so they would sound the trumpets. A metaphor for just publicizing what they were about to do. Jesus said they have their reward already. They wanted the approval of men and they got the approval of men. And then when it came to praying, they would try to uh, plan their trips into town so they would arrive in town, in Jerusalem, on the, at the busy intersections at the appointed times of prayer through the day and they would stop and they would pray there so people would see them praying. And Jesus said, don't be like them. Go in your closet, go in an inner room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Likewise with their fasting. Instead of going out about the course of their day looking normal, they would try to look as disheveled as possible so that people would see that they were fasting. And in each of these cases, Jesus was telling his disciples, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. Because you see what the religious leaders were doing was not in order to glorify God. They were doing everything they were doing so they could be applauded by men. So men would think they were impressive. They didn't care that much about honoring God in these matters. Jesus called them hypocrites. They were play actors. And he used that word hypocrite that came out of the Greek, the ancient Greek theater. Which early on it meant nothing bad. A hypocrite was a a person who could wear two different faces in, in different acts in a play. Different scenes in a play. A hypocrite was a talented person who could play two entirely different roles in the same show. 
But then, of course, it came to carry negative connotations of somebody play-acting, somebody who is two-faced. And Jesus called the religious leaders of his day hypocrites, play-actors. Well, we come today to the least understood and least practiced element of the Christian life that we'll be introduced to in the Sermon on the Mount. This issue of fasting. Again, a topic that I'll have to admit to my own shame. I think in 25 years of ministry, I've never once preached a message on fasting. But again, the beauty of preaching through the Word of God, you cover what comes next. Fasting was the practice of going without food for a prolonged period of time for the express purpose of praying and communing with God. Folks, there was an element about it. There is an element about it that is difficult because it's going without one of the necessities of life in order to kind of step aside from life for a temporary period of time and focus all of your time and your attention on communion with God. Now, when we think of fasting and we think of food, I want you to, I want you to just realize in your mind what a good God that God is that he's given us so much to enjoy. Paul told Timothy that when it comes to food and drink and everything in this world, God's given us many good things for our enjoyment. And so we, we eat with thanksgiving to God and we recognize that he's the one who provides for us and sustains our lives and gives us all these good things. Have you ever thought about the amazing variety of food that God's given us? You read in, in the early chapters of Genesis all the fruits and vegetables and grains and then after the flood how God uh, then said that the, all the, the, the animals could be eaten and provide, he provided for a, even animals. And you think all the good food. I mean, who doesn't like a good steak? Amen. A good ribeye, I'll make you hungry before lunch. A good cheeseburger where it kind of runs down your, your, your wrist a little bit. Some collard greens and cornbread and fat back. Now we're talking, right? Woo! God gives us all good things to enjoy. Do you realize that the rabbis said that you, according to their teaching, the rabbis, now you'll like this, okay? They said you're going to have to give an account one day at the judgment seat for all of the good food you have not tried. On the other hand, when it came to fasting... Some of the pagans, some of the ancient pagans would fast. You know what their motive was? They thought that demons entered the human body through the mouth. And so they would fast so nothing would be going into the mouth so they wouldn't run the risk of a demon getting in them. That was the pagans. Well, I spoke last week of how much of, of the ancient Jews' daily life was caught up in both earning and preparing their daily food. 
We looked at that petition where Jesus said, pray then this way. Give us this day our daily bread and, and how you and I take our daily bread for granted. And they wouldn't have because they spent so much of their lives gathering and preparing their food. Well, in fasting, the person is so burdened over their sin. Or maybe so burdened over some sin in your family or sin in the nation or sin in the church. So burdened over sin or so burdened over some big decision that they have to make that they would not even take time out to prepare and eat food. All of their free time, instead of being spent gathering and preparing and eating food, would instead be spent on their face before God. Now, what are we to make of fasting both then and now? Now, I think today how fasting can kind of be artificially prescribed. Don't eat meat on certain days of the week. Or there can be practices like fasting surrounding Lent on the church calendar and, and how those things can become just artificial uh, dates if the participant isn't careful. Others alternate fasting and gorging. They may gorge so that then they can fast or vice versa. They might fast so they can gorge. I think of Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras literally referring what, what, what means uh, Fat Tuesday. It's the culmination of the celebration right before Lent season that begins with Ash Wednesday and a time of fasting. And so in Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, they just participate in a little bit. It's become nothing more than a big party. Some fast to simply lose weight. And so fasting is nothing more than a physical thing. That's all. Folks, I want to emphasize that in the Bible there was always a spiritual reason surrounding a fast. It was because of one's awareness of their sinfulness or because of something heavy on their heart that if God didn't move in that matter, they were going to be hopeless. And so they would fast and pray in order to commune with God. I think of King David. After King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and Nathan confronted him and Nathan said the son that has been conceived out of this relationship is going to die and God struck that infant with the sickness and the Bible says for six days King David laid on his face prostrate before God praying and fasting that God might save the child. That's an example of how the saints in the Bible carried about with prayer and fasting. And so what we need to understand is that the Bible never prescribes fasting simply for the sake of fasting. The focus was not on the fast itself, but it was on the person getting right with God in a period of increased intensity. We're only going to look at two things this morning, the when and the how of fasting. And we're going to spend just about all of our time on the first thing, the when of fasting. 
Jesus said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The when of fasting. It should be a matter worth noting that Jesus did not prescribe certain times of fasting or how often you and I are to do this. Now it may be helpful to first go over a bit of Old Testament history concerning fasting and complement that history with what Jesus says here. When we discuss the when of fasting, let's think first of all about the Old Testament. Do you realize that God only prescribed a fast one day out of the year? That's when God required it. And that one day out of the year was to be on the day of atonement. And God said on the day of atonement, the whole nation was to partake in this fast. Every man, every woman, every young person was to take part in this fast. It was to be a national day of fasting in Israel. But then the Jewish leaders added to this. They expanded it. In the Talmud, which is the written commentary and oral tradition of the rabbis, they prescribed that fasting was to be done on the second and the fifth day of every week. Now the reason they said this is because they indicated that Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments on the fifth day of the week and he came down on the second day of the week and so every second and fifth day of each week was to be a day of fasting. But again, God only prescribed it one day. Now we also see that fasting was common in other places in the Old Testament. I think one of, the, one of the places that stands out to me the most is when God said to Jonah that he wanted Jonah to go and cry out against Nineveh. And then after that whole episode of Jonah resisting and being swallowed by the whale and then spit back out and God commissioned him again, when he finally got into Nineveh and he preached that message and he told them that God's judgment was coming, I want you, I want you to listen to what Scripture says about that. In Jonah chapter 3 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now listen to verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published uh, through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent uh, and, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Here were pagans. They believed God's prophet and believed God's word, and they turned to God in repentance, and their repentance included prayer and fasting, and God saved them. I think also in the book of Esther, Queen Esther, how Mordecai said, For such a time as this, you come to your position. Wicked Haman had taught the king into this decree that all the Jewish people in Persia were going to be destroyed. And, and God engineered circumstances, put, put his woman right in place at the right time to become the queen. And, and she said, yes, I'll go in and talk to the king and intercede on behalf of my people that they may not be destroyed. She said, but before I do that, she said, I want every Jew in Susa to take three days and spend that three days in prayer and fasting. She said, pray for me that when I go before the king, he'll receive me and he'll hear me out. And God granted her success. We see Daniel in the book of Daniel seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting. And it was in those later chapters of the book of Daniel, Daniel 9 and following, when God, when God revealed to Daniel after his time of prayer and fasting what was going to happen in the future until the end of times. Daniel got that vision after a time of prayer and fasting. We could also talk about Moses or Samson or Hannah or Elijah or Ezra or Nehemiah. Some of the most famous names in the Old Testament who engaged in both prayer and fasting. The New Testament speaks of Anna, John the Baptist and his disciples, Jesus himself, and the apostles Peter and Paul. The great reformers like Luther and Calvin practiced fasting. Men like John Wesley and George Whitfield are still others that we could discuss. My point is, folks, that whether we look at the Old Testament or whether we look at the New Testament or whether we look at, at examples from church history, we see examples of men and women, the men and women of God, that from time to time, as a part of their devotion to God, would pray and fast. Now concerning the Jews in the Old Testament, we see a condemnation of the prophets that the people had turned their religious practices, like fasting, into little more than boxes on the calendar that they could check off and they'd say, we've been there and done that. Read Jeremiah's famous temple sermon when he went to the temple and he condemned them for their, their sacred assemblies that just didn't mean anything, their fasting that didn't mean anything. Again, they had just turned it into ritual. And Jeremiah went and condemned them. He said, you're, you're, calling, you're, you're calling on the Lord and saying, temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we're justified to do all that we're doing. He said, but what God is wanting you to do is amend your ways, repent of your sin and turn to him, and then do these things because you're, you're right with God. 
When we come to the New Testament, the question is naturally asked, should New Testament Christians fast? Now, folks, whereas fasting is never commanded or prescribed in the New Testament, let me say that there are some assumptions that are made. First, Jesus was asked on one occasion, why do the disciples of John the Baptist fast and your disciples do not? Now, Jesus' answer is very telling. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus indicates two things there. First of all, his answer points out that fasting is usually associated with the time of sorrow. And while he was with them, it certainly couldn't be defined as a time of sorrow. But then also, Jesus' answer would seem to suggest that he did expect his followers to fast after he ascended back to the Father. He certainly didn't prohibit fasting in any way and seems right there to give an, an endorsement for it. And then, of course, Jesus himself went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and engaged in that period of prayer and fasting. And then those examples in the book of Acts I mentioned a moment ago. And so because of the example of Jesus, the example of the early church, I hope that would be enough right there to suggest to you that this matter of fasting, this issue of fasting is something that you and I in the modern day church today need to take a fresh look at. We don't need to simply write it off and assume it was for some earlier period of time. It's also for believers today. Now I want to be quick to add that some of you, because of certain physical conditions, probably should not fast. In fact, under certain medical conditions, fasting would even be dangerous. But when you think of your own moments of when to fast, it may be when the Holy Spirit convicts you in some particular way over sin in your life. Maybe there's somebody in this auditorium right now that there's some sin that you've been battling in your life for maybe weeks, months, years, maybe even decades. And you don't have the victory over it. You could greatly benefit by an extended period of time of prayer and fasting. What about a couple in the congregation here who might be struggling with marital issues? Why not take time out for prayer and fasting? Maybe you've got a prodigal son or a daughter and you could take time out for prayer and fasting that that son or daughter might come back to the Lord. What about a young people facing some huge decision in their life? What to do with the rest of their life? Where to go to college? Whether or not they should even go to college? What God wants them doing with their life? Is God calling them on the mission field? Who are they supposed to marry? Some of those decisions they would do well to bathe those decisions in temporary periods of prayer and fasting. 
How about local churches today getting on their face before God in extended times of prayer and fasting that God might send revival? Those are just some of the times when fasting would be appropriate. But I want to address a different matter for you and I as well, okay? When we talk about fasting, do you realize in our modern world we don't necessarily just need to think about food? Now, fast involving food is important in the Bible because what did Jesus say when Satan came to him after 40 days of fasting? Uh, Satan said, turn this bread, uh, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so fasting from food, something that is so essential to physical life, the Bible is saying God wants to teach us through that fast that believe it or not, there is something even more important to your existence than the physical food you put in your mouth. And that's your relationship with God. And probably only through fasting from food is that lesson really communicated the strongest. But remember how I said food dominated so much of their time and energies? But it's different for us today. With all the fast food and prepared food, it, it doesn't dominate. It, it may not just be food fast that you need the most. There are some in here perhaps who become so addicted to different forms of media that that has begun to consume your life to such an extent that you don't even get along with God anymore. You realize they've come out with a new disorder today, a new addiction, a new anxiety disorder that some people today simply cannot be separated away from their cell phones. I'm serious. Apparently there are some people that counselors are counseling with that have short mental and emotional anxiety meltdowns if something happens to their phone. You knew something like that was coming, right? I can just about promise you there are people in this audience today that you can't even have your Bible study and prayer time apart from your cell phone or Facebook or Instagram or email. Here you are, you're intending to get along with God and, and you open up your Bible, whether it's your uh, a hard copy or electronic copy, you open that up and there you got that cell phone or that iPad and, and, and here you are, you're, you're supposed to be doing your devotion time and meeting with God and pray and you're constantly looking over at your phone because has somebody texted me or has somebody posted something on Facebook or Instagram that I need to see and you're constant you can't even take 15 or 30 minutes or an hour alone with God without checking your social media that ought to be an indication to you you got a problem you got an issue a media fast would be good for you. If you can't come into church and leave your cell phone either in your car or at least cut it off or not look at it 
Ought to be an indication to you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking and saying to yourselves right now. You see, some of you think because I'm 52 years of age, I'm some old dinosaur, and I'm stupid about this stuff. Some of you are thinking right now, I bring my phone into church preacher because my Bible app is on my phone. But see, what you don't realize is I, I know what you're doing. Because in addition to your Bible app, what are you doing all through Sunday school and all through church? As you got your Bible app open and you're following your Sunday school teacher or you're following me, you're also constantly looking at your text. Oh, who's on Facebook? Who's posting something to Instagram? You're constantly checking all that and you can't get away from it. I want to suggest to you immediate fast. Some of you are breaking out in cold sweats right now. <laughs> Jesus went 40 days without food. Can you even go four days without Facebook or Instagram? Now, there's some of you saying, you get them, preacher. But you know what? You won't cut the TV off long enough or get away from the Internet long enough. You're just as guilty. How about a fast for you? Folks, th this is fun. I could go on with this, okay? But here's my point, and here's the point of fasting in the Bible. Do we care enough about God speaking to us that we are willing to go out of our way and even do without things that are a part of our daily life and even inconvenience ourselves in order to hear from God? Are we willing to do that? First night of our war room study, who did we look at? We looked at the church at Laodicea. And you remember what the church at Laodicea said to the Lord Jesus? Hey, we're fine. We're okay. We're rich and we got everything we need. But God said, oh, no, you're not. You're lukewarm. You don't realize that actually you're poor and blind and naked. And Jesus saw them an entirely different way than they saw themselves. It doesn't matter how we see ourselves. What matters is how does God see us. That's what's important. Some people will not even go out of their way or change their routine or do without anything in order to spend a prolonged time seeking the face of God. Let me suggest that every person in here today you choose sometime, you're going to put your iPad away, your cell phone away, what, your media away, and you're going to spend some time getting alone with God. Separating yourself away from those things in your life that are engaging all of your time and energy, and those things are, are keeping you even from doing your daily Bible reading, your daily devotion. Will you take a period of time in your life to separate yourself from some of that on a temporary basis so you can get along with God? Well, the how of fasting. 
And I'm not going to say much at all here. What was Jesus' point? His point was that nobody needed to know they were fasting. In everyday life, in the life of a Jew, they would get up of a morning, they would anoint their hair with oil, their head with oil, and, and, and comb their hair. It was just part of their hygiene, and these oils would even have perfumes in them. For a Jew to get up and not do that and not wash his face and, and his clothes to be disheveled, that was a sign to everybody. Here is somebody who must be fasting. And Jesus said, don't do that at all. Anoint your head with the wall. Comb your hair. Change your clothes. Do whatever you need to do to go out in public and nobody would know that you are fasting. It's between you and God. Just be your normal self. Don't advertise it. Don't invite your Sunday school class over to have a cookout and maybe have smoke pit barbecue, bring in barbecue, and you're sitting around not eating, and your class says, why are you not eating? Oh, I'm enjoying a time of a fast. I'm serious. I've heard of stuff like that happening before. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't let nobody needs to know about this. Don't go to school and announce, I'm not carrying my cell phone today. I'm, I'm doing a media fast. Just do it. Let it be between you and God. I want you to listen to what was said in Isaiah 64. In Isaiah 64, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is, listen, to, here's what I want you to hear. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. And again, no one rouses himself to take hold of you, God. Fasting is a person rousing themselves to seek the face of God, to lay hold of God. And what I'm asking of each of us this morning is that you would go out of your way to rouse yourself to meet with God. Think about it. We have entire communities in the Middle East right now being driven out and or killed. Women and children even losing their lives, their heads being chopped off. We have individuals and judges and organizations and politicians in our own nation fundamentally, even as I speak, they're fundamentally trying to change the very nature of marriage and family in America. We have Christian mission boards like our own Southern Baptist Convention bringing 600 of our missionaries home because we don't have enough money. Giving all nationwide is down enough. We can't even keep foreign missionaries on the field. 
Europe now is only about 1% Christian. And America is beating a path in that same direction as hard as we can go. My point being, do we not have every good reason to rouse ourselves to meet with God? What's it going to take? Every person in here, in some way, on your time, without advertising it, rouse yourself to take hold of God. A time of prayer and fasting. Food? Yeah. Because again, that signifies a necessity of life and there's something even more important than the food you eat. But also these other fasts that I've mentioned. Will you rouse yourself? Go out of your way and inconvenience yourself to meet with God.